This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. McDelivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the results, you'll always be winning with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app and you'll get rewards points delivered too. So that ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants. 18 plus rewards registration required. Points only on menu items, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Welcome to Total Saints Podcast, we're the regular dedicated listen that goes to the heart of all things Saints FC. Before we get going in this episode, just a big thank you to everyone who has fed back on our 100th episode, which was released last week, depending of course on when you're listening to this. Once more, I can't thank everyone enough for those who were involved in making the night such a success, be it on our pod panel, including our special guest Russell Loveland, those who helped coordinate it all, or those of you who bought tickets in support of Saints Foundation. Moving on to TSP 101, it's an action-packed offering. Alongside us reflecting on Saints' trip to Anfield and previewing the FA Cup replay at Spurs, we'll also hear from Henry Cunningham, Customer Service and Operations Manager at Happy Hot Tubs, our 2019-20 podcast sponsor. If that wasn't enough, John Parron, one of the wise men behind the Southampton Australian Supporters Group, also comes on to chat Saints Live Down Under, Peter Shilton and an impending Gold Coast road trip. So let's get it all going in partnership with saintsarchive.com and saintsworld.co.uk and sponsored by Happy Hot Tubs. This is Total Saints Podcast 101. I'd really love a hot tub, but I don't know where to start. How easy is the process? It's as easy as one, two, three. Who are you? I'm the man who puts happy people in hot tubs. One, choose your hot tub at Happy Hot Tubs. Two, choose your accessories. And three, choose how you want to pay. With 0% finance available on selected tubs, we even accept American Express. You deserve happy. And at Happy Hot Tubs, it's as easy as one, two, three. Happyhottubs.co.uk Game 25 of Saints season saw them travel up to Liverpool to face the impending cha cha oh, I can't even say it. It eventually somehow ended up in a 4-0 defeat, but Glenn doesn't necessarily reflect the whole game. No, it doesn't. Um, 4-0 was harsh. I think you can quite safely say that. But the, the game was 
um, pretty even and, until the big turning point, which I'm sure we'll we'll get onto. And uh, <laughs> after the um, after the 50th minute and Liverpool's opening goal, there's not really much point in talking about the rest of the game because the, the the game was the game was done at that point. I mean, no, seriously, there isn't. I mean, we we pushed forward to try and equalise. We got done on the break because they're brilliant at that. If you give them space, they will murder you, and that's what they did. But no, the the, the first half, I thought I thought we were the better side and um, wasn't looking terribly good for Liverpool at that point. So. Uh, Far bit for me to suggest that someone had a word with Kevin at half time. <laughs> uh, yeah, made sure he sorted sorted things out in the second half. But um, we were actually our own worst enemy in the first half. We missed too many chances, mm. too many times. We we chose the wrong option. Um, you know, one decision went for us with um, Shane Long dragging Firmino down. Yeah. But uh, other than that, everything seemed to go against us. Um, you know, the, the back pass decision was an interesting one, say the least. Mm. And you, you had all the. Um, all the uh, all the little things that you never get up there, um, different interpretations of what a booking is when we do it, you know, when they do it and stuff like that. But uh, overall, it's a game I'm not really I'm not really that bothered about, other than it it puts more emphasis on how badly VAR is used. Yeah. But, uh, it's done now, move on. Exactly. Lucy, I wasn't going to pile straight in to talk about Kevin, uh, our friend, but, um, yeah, I mean, you look at the first half stats, um, you know, Saints were very much on top, and uh, I think on another day, if we'd taken some chances, you know, we definitely gave them plenty to worry about in that first half. Absolutely, and I think that's probably the difference when you play these very top sides. If you don't take your opportunities, then you very often you'll come out on the wrong end of it, and... As much as VAR has a lot to answer for and as much as we were quite unlucky, mm. um, I think that will be a common theme when you play against the very best teams that at the end of the day, they are just that much more clinical. Um, but I think it's very refreshing that we went to Anfield and we actually felt like we sh- could have got something out of the game, um, that we kind of went toe to toe with them for the whole of the first half. Mm. And um, I mean, I went a couple of seasons ago or a season ago to Anfield and we just didn't bother. Yeah. You know, we were 3-0 down at half-time and then just shut up shop and didn't even try to get back into the game. Um, and I think as the game got more stretched, that's when, you know, we got chopped down even further. So um, I think it was a really positive performance, which you wouldn't necessarily say about a 4-0 <laughs> as you look at it on the uh, score sheet. But um, I think there were plenty of positives and, and I'm sure the kind of sense of injustice that they might mm. be feeling right now will fuel them as they kind of go into a much better run over the next few weeks. Yeah, and I think that's the thing, Steve. I, th- I think the thing I was most disappointed about is, as we'd spoken about the last couple of weeks, uh, Saints had obviously scored in every single away game in every competition from Burnley on the opening day. I think that's probably what I'm more heartbroken about, that that brilliant run has ended. But I think, as Lucy said there, you know, it's, it's refreshing that we've come full circle from that famous Mark Hughes damage limitation quote to really taking the game to, as I say, the impending cha 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 you know the rest of it. It's frustrating, isn't it, that... I mean, we've obviously lost our sort of continual away goals record, as you say, having created probably more chances than we've created in a lot of away games this season, despite obviously our, our away record being very good. Yeah. Um, we've generally sort of been very economical with our um, with our chances. Um, we've, we've been very clinical, whereas in the one game where you absolutely have to be clinical, we weren't. Um, mm. So I guess that would be the one frustrating thing. Um, official decisions didn't go away. I mean, I think that back pass one, while, I mean, clearly it is a back pass, I don't see that as really any sort of chance for us because you put a, you put an indirect free yeah, kick yeah. one yard um, out. No, it wasn't even, wasn't even that close. It, mm. he, he picked it up like next to the goalpost. Yeah. So you're literally going to crowd every, every single Liverpool player around that post 
how do you engineer a, a goal mm. from there? I mean, you, you, it's fluke if it goes if it goes in somehow. Mm. It's not it's not the point though, is it? The point it's, is is that oh, you, yeah, don't, you don't decision. get that, you don't get those decisions. Any yeah. anything that no. may even remotely be important, you don't get those decisions at Anfield, and that's no. that's the end of that. And VAR hasn't changed that. Well, evidently, yeah, yeah. And uh, I mean, the scoreline eventually made it look like Saints had been well and truly thrashed, Lucy. But as Glenn mentioned there, and I'm going to come on. Um, that's enough of the positivity. Let's get on to it. Um, I'm going to come to Glenn in a minute. But there were obviously some big penalty calls um, for Saints at nil-nil when Danny Ings appeared to be caught by Fabinho just prior to Liverpool taking the lead. No award of the penalty. Some people saying there wasn't a VAR check. Some people saying there was, but you know, again, um, typically in a ground that has no screen, um, you know, and Ralph admitted that it seemed to all happen within about ten seconds. So, no penalty. Um, were you surprised by the decision? I'm surprised in the sense that to me it looks like a clear penalty. Mm-hmm. Um, not so surprised because, as we just said, it seems to me that VAR still doesn't tackle the issue of referees making certain decisions at big grounds Mm. and not feeling like they can overturn them for whatever reason. And VAR is being used so inconsistently about with those kinds of decisions that I am not so surprised as you might think on the surface, given having looked at that challenge from multiple angles, he clearly clips him as he goes through. And also with Danny Ings and the form he's in, there's no way he'd go down unless he actually kind of felt contact because You know, he'd have backed himself, wouldn't he, to uh, put that chance away, I think. So, um, yeah, surprised in the sense that there's a clear decision to be made. But mm. given what we've seen from VAR, um, and we saw VAR several times in that game, not so surprised. On Tuesday, Glenn, I tweeted uh, about the fact that, you know, Saints weren't up against it enough, that they obviously had Kevin Friend appointed as referee. Um I still go back to that 2015 game that uh, we were all at St Mary's when Emery Chan chopped down Juricic, he didn't give a penalty. Then uh, Joe Allen chopped down Juricic, he didn't give a penalty. Um, there was lots of boos. There was a famous cartoon that I think 4-4-Tunes did with uh, Brendan Rodgers sort of and him cuddling and all that sort of thing. So I wasn't overly optimistic. He's not a great referee, particularly when we seem to face the top six, as I think many Saints fans have said. But just in terms of the performance yesterday, Glenn, without swearing, what did you make of it? It's funny. I mean, I remember the 2015 game. Obviously, I was there and I was furious at the time and as annoyed as anybody else was. I don't know. It's just it's just Kevin Friend doing what he does. Um, but it's it's not just him. We've had it with Stuart Atwell at Old Trafford yep. um, last season. And, you know, we've had it with Mike Dean before. As Lucy said, VAR has not made the situation of coming away from the big grounds feeling like you've been done Mm. in some way. And in some ways it's even worse now. I mean, before it was just, okay, the referee's not given it. You can maybe understand it. He's under pressure. There's 50,000 people whispering at him at Anfield. (laughs) Um, But now you're, you're thinking actually there's, there's guys now watching this on telly and they're also in on the act as well. Mm. Um, I I wasn't surprised he, he, he didn't give it. I also when Liverpool go at the other end and score, do you honestly think in, <laughs> on this planet that they're going to disallow a Liverpool goal in front of the cop end and take it up to the other end and give us a penalty? It's well, just, bear, it's bearing just... in mind, Man City had that even more blatant penalty yep. Yep. where yeah. Liverpool went up the other end and scored and that didn't come back. Yep. Yeah. Um, you know, that was a handball. That was Trent's handball, wasn't it? Uh, that's a, the handball thing. is, is just I've, I've, I'm done with that now. Mm. After the, the Spurs ones that we've had recently, I'm, I'm, I'm done with handballs. And, I'm just a normal bloke who watches football. I haven't got a clue what's going on now. <laughs> yeah. Haven't got a clue yeah. what they're going to give. What I mean, the, the the penalty 
that we didn't get given against Liverpool. If you go back to the Wolves game, Jack Stevens and Cedric with their challenge, it's, mm. it's a similar sort of thing. It doesn't get given. It goes to VAR mm. and it, it rightly, in that case, gets given. Yep. So why couldn't that have happened yesterday? VAR hasn't made things more more consistent in, in some ways. It's just left people scratching their heads more. Yeah, it ma- yeah, magnifies the inconsistencies. It does, yeah. it does, yeah. No, totally. And I, I have to say, um, Steve, I, uh, someone commented on the uh, the post earlier in the week and said, well, actually, we're doing all right under him. And I looked back and we'd actually not lost our last seven games when he'd been referee, um, which, uh, when you think about it, he was pretty inept against Spurs at home uh, last season, but somehow we managed to win that game when he gave us a free kick about 15 yards further uh, after, ironically, Carl Walker-Peters had made a foul. But uh, yeah. just... Uh, as, as Glenn kind of alluded to earlier, the, I guess to bring a sense of balance and not sound too um, biased, the Firmino one, um, I mean, admittedly the cross was about 25 foot in the air and it did go to VAR, but on another day, that probably could have been a penalty as well, right? Yeah, and I think in that situation, you'd probably have to give a red card as well, mm. just for, he's basically on the goal line. If if the cross is going to him, then he's going to score. Yeah. It's no but, attempt to play the ball. Yeah, either, exactly. From yeah, yeah. Yeah. So it's um, yeah. So the the double jeopardy thing of denying goal scoring opportunity, only getting a yellow card now, um, wouldn't apply in in that instance because mm. there's been no attempt to play the ball. Yeah. And I guess I mean as you said just now, like before VAR, you well you got you got annoyed and then kind of shrugged your shoulders a little bit later and said, well, that's what happens. But now we are actually seeing the thought process. Mm. And yet they're still making ridiculous decisions that nobody understands. And it's like, how have we ended up in this situation? It's ridiculous. Mm. Yeah, I have to uh, to sort of say, uh, I, I thought it was ironic. I was making my notes thinking that uh, in the debut season of VAR, it does uh, sort of seem ironic that uh, the Champions will be one of the two stadiums that doesn't have a VAR screen in the uh, the stadium. But uh, there but we the, go. But then, the yeah. other, then the other one are absolutely awful. So <laughs> it's kind of balanced yeah. out. Yeah, true. So there we go. Less Kevin Friend, more Kevin Foe. Um, look, just to, to finish up then, Lucy... Um, we had more shots, we had more corners, plenty of positives, as you sort of alluded to there. Ralph came out afterwards, very respectful, very diplomatic, I thought, you know, true uh, sign of his character, really. But despite everything that's happened over the weekend, despite the scoreline, I think we can come away thinking that, you know, Saints at least went up there and put in a proud performance. And despite maybe losing more goals than they have over the last few seasons, the way they went about it should hopefully give them some hope for the next few weeks. Yeah, definitely. And I'm sure at this point, having had so much success with that style of football and, and taking it to the opposition, that they will know that they were unlucky and they will know that there were positives. Um, and, and on a different day, put some chances away and it looks completely different. So um, I'm sure sure it will be seen as a positive thing. And with the change in fixtures that's coming, you'd expect them to kind of build a bit more momentum back again and look a bit more up the table as we go now, I would think. I think it's important to say that Liverpool totally deserve to win the league. Uh, I know we're we're moaning about VAR and referees and whatnot. They do totally deserve to win the league. They're a fantastic team. Um, Yeah, they're useless as well, aren't they? Oh, the the way they play with the fullbacks. I mean, it's 4-3-3, but basically it's 4-5-5. You know, they've got an an extra four players on the pitch because those... Not including Kevin Friend. I mean, yeah. uh, But, I mean, if you look look at the first goal that I was moaning about earlier, you look at Robertson, he ends up back healing the ball to keep it in play on our goal line about 20 seconds it seems mm. after the Ings penalty shout you know he, he doesn't hang around he just goes and it's just you know the, the way Klopp has signed players to go into that system that he wants to play mm. is brilliant and that's that's something that um, you know he has a specific style of play and he signs the right players to play that style and that's what we need to do instead of just uh, signing players that we can for the sake of it which is what we've done the last couple of years. 
Just to finish on that game then, Glenn, and I know this isn't a Liverpool podcast, but you, you talk about, you know, Steve watches a lot of cricket, you always talk about the, the following season and bowlers start to work out, batsmen, you know, talk about managers, some teams tend to, to work them out. Do you think that potentially can happen with Liverpool, where people will start to try and really analyse and potentially make the most of the weaknesses they have, or do you think nah. they, they almost, and that's the point I'm making, Lucy, do you think they almost look like they literally have no weaknesses? They don't have many. Um, I think we actually targeted the fullbacks, and the fullbacks are a strength for them, obviously, mm. but they're, they're also a weakness. They're, they're not the best defensively, mm. and that's that's why, to me, the back pass was significant because, you know, we crowded Ram Robertson, and he kind of panicked and just jabbed it back to towards the goal. It was kind of a nothing kind of clearance, and, you know, that Trent Alexander-Arnold is not the best defender either, but you never get to them because the rest mm. of their team is so good. You just don't get near them. So, And if I, you get it wrong, if you press them in the wrong way, you then end up with the other side of you yeah. and you've kind of invited pressure on yourself. So, yeah. I mean, there were several opportunities we had to press them. They negotiated our press and that made us even more exposed because, you know, they're so quick yeah. at getting around the other side of you. So I think there are plenty of opportunities to see kind of slight cracks and weaknesses and, you know, mm. you can theorise about this as much as you want, but to actually execute taking advantage of those. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's just it's, it's impossible. Well, I think I think the first half is probably the probably the closest any any other team that I've seen has got to them. Yeah. In, in terms of rattling them and throwing them off the game that they would like to play. I mean, obviously they then went and tore us to pieces in the That's second the half, thing, though, isn't it? Um, it but it's half. yeah, you, you could do it for a half. If, yeah, have you got the organisation structure? Have you got the concentration? <laughs> have you got the stamina mm. um, and the ability? Um, as well, because it's not just about being organised. You've still got to be quite good. And I mean, we've discussed this ad nauseum all season that we've for most of the season, we've been able to put a performance in for 45 minutes. And the other half of the game has kind of let us down a little bit. Um, And I mean, I wouldn't I wouldn't go so far as to say that was the case um, yesterday, per se, because I think ultimately you were just up against up against a much better side that that kind of picked us off when when we were we then decided that we wanted to chase the game. Um, I mean, the pragmatist might have said, right, okay, right, at two 0 we'll just sit in and, and defend deep because yeah. we know we know that they're not going to be happy just slinging crosses in, no. um, unless they're going to bring um, Origi off the bench, in which case it makes a little bit more sense. But we could have possibly declared at two 0 and said, right, like shut up shop, that'll do. We've we've had a go, uh, tried it for an hour, it worked for the most part, but. Um, this is where we kind of accept our lot in in this, and kind of say right, okay, well we don't we're not gonna not gonna take that hit on our goal difference again. Yeah. Because um, we had recovered our goal difference, we were better than I think five or six of the sides down mm. there. Mm. Um, and obviously another four goals means we're back down below a few again. Yeah. Um, obviously we've got the points cushion, which which is the main thing. And now obviously after the winter break, a relatively kind looking run of fixtures. The latest transfer window slammed shut on Friday the 31st of January and in true Saints style was fairly uneventful. In terms of senior moves, Carl Walker-Peters joined on loan from Spurs until the end of the season before Cedric Suarez exited Saints heading in the opposite direction to North London and Arsenal. Maybe the saddest or most emotional move was Japanese international and true Saint Ma Yoshida moving to Sampdoria in Italy, likely meaning the end of his Saints career after eight years. Starting with Walker-Peters then, Glenn, the 22-year-old arrives at St Mary's until the end of the season, initially having 
having made 24 senior appearances for Spurs, five of them this season. What do you make of that signing and what do you think or hope that he can bring to Saints before the end of the uh, year? When he initially signed, you know, Cedric hadn't left at that point and it, it seemed like he would come in and be an option on either side. Mm. Um, if you look at his YouTube highlight reel, I did the fanboy thing and had a quick I look at that. I can't believe you did that, Glenn. This I know, I know. It is out of character, but it, it, was, <laughs> in, it was interesting to see that he, he did get selected at left back quite a lot for the England age group teams and for Spurs, certainly on the, you know, on the, on this, on these clips. So I thought, okay, he's, he's to cover both sides. But obviously with Cedric leaving, it's kind of changed a little bit now. And he is, you would think, the first choice right back. Mm. Um, so he's obviously got a good reputation. He, he played at Spurs, which gives you opportunities to play for England at age group level. So I don't really know. 25 games is not a lot. Probably a lot of those will have been off the bench. Yeah. Um, and in the League Cup and various European competitions and whatnot. So I don't know. Um, mm. Just got to hope he does well. Um, we've signed players with this sort of pedigree before, and they've turned out to be good, and we've signed some that have turned out to be rubbish. Um, Stephen O'Halloran from Aston Villa. Do you remember him? Oh, he was uh, he was uh, he was abysmal. But one game. <laughs> I, yeah, I think he'll do a, a decent job. I just mm. I, I mean I heard some stories that he wasn't fit, which you know we really don't want. Bearing in mind we've got. Um, Jan Valery uh, hasn't come back from the dead yet and um, we haven't really got anyone else and we don't want to have to shift or Prowse out there um, for for any long period of time. But yeah. the, And he's obviously only going to be short term. It's yeah. obviously only for the rest of the season. Mm. Um, if he does well, then Spurs are going to either want a bidding war, which we won't win, yeah. or they're going to want more than the 10 million or so that we will pay for a fullback. Mm. So... He's obviously only going to be here for the rest of the season. Um, hopefully, we've got a plan in place for a, a permanent right back in the summer, which is uh, what we used to say when Les Reed was uh, was around. <laughs> we, uh, we had succession planning, and it turned out to be complete crap over the last <laughs> few years. But yeah. hopefully, now things are a little bit more stable. We've got something in mind for next season. Mm. I know that uh, Saints have been linked, and I know fans have been talking about a lot, haven't they, about uh, is it Myler, the uh, Belgian guy? But I think Ralph said in a, was it one of the fans' forums or something a few weeks ago, that they weren't sure that he was ready for the Premier League yet. So it'll be interesting to see whether that happens uh, in the summer. But I guess that's the other thing, just briefly, Glenn. Um, you know, there was rumours that uh, Crystal Palace were after him as well, but I imagine Saints would have made it fairly clear that Cedric was on the move and he was guaranteed first-team action, which would have made sense for him and Spurs and Saints, really. Yeah, for for Walker Peters himself, it's it's a no-brainer to mm. you know get himself some Premier League games. Mm. Um, yeah, well, obviously the Cedric move was uh, was going to happen, um, and you know he is going to get games, and it, it will be good for him. I mean, Palace have just got an injury crisis, haven't they? Yeah. So chances are, I saw Joel Ward came on as a sub against us, didn't he? So he's obviously back fit again, um, and they've got another right back as well whose name escapes me for now. But, but, he's, but, he's, but he's still Joel Ward, and he's rubbish. Yeah, yeah. Martin Kelly's oh, rubbish as well. I, I, reckon, rubbish. I reckon Walker Peters would have had a good shout there, to be fair. That signing did seem completely done and dusted like three weeks ago. Yeah, definitely. Um, so, quite, I mean, quite what Palace have done this month. I mean, they've they've made a Not complete a pig's ear. Well, they've made a complete pig's ear of this transfer window. They obviously got Tosin in on loan, who then went and got injured after, after the game against us yeah. um, and that glorious opportunity at yeah, and, yeah. They, and I mean they had this right back from West Brom all basically ready to go and um, and then supposedly failed a medical yeah. um, and they bossed up Jared Bowen well they, they were basically used as a patsy for Bowen basically just to get a, lo- get a load more money out of West Ham yeah. um, which 
obviously Golden Sullivan duly obliged as they always do because they're idiots. Yeah. Tell you what, if that lot go down, they are in so oh, it's gonna be great. So It's, it's going to be great fun to watch, isn't it? And the yeah. run of games they got coming up as well, including us. But yeah, there we go. But uh, look, moving on to Cedric, obviously I know all of you out there listening would have wanted me to have uh, spoken to Glenn about Cedric, but I couldn't do that to either party really. Um, exactly. Yeah. So it didn't feel fair to Cedric or to Glenn. But uh, look, the Portuguese fullback was out of contract this coming summer, um, so he uh, enabled Saints to get some form of fee for him by. Uh, the uh, loan that uh, he took moving to Arsenal Cedric uh, played 138 times for the Saints scoring three times against Wigan Manchester United and of course them lot down the road I read the other day Steve that I thought he was a player that probably split fan opinion during his time at Saints but you know is at least left with a, a bit of class and dignity yeah I mean the all the words he's he's had to say have been very positive and yeah he's he's left in the right way which we certainly uh, can't say the same for many others who have who have departed in recent years but yeah I mean as you say he's Splits opinion, um, arguably more often than he split his head head open at various <laughs> at various times with every other week uh, <laughs> with this. But at the end of the day, he's clearly not a bad player. Mm. But I think there are there are certain aspects to his game. I mean, one of which he can't do anything about unless you put him on a rack, um, sort of in medieval style, and <laughs> somehow make him taller. Because at five foot six, five foot seven, you're automatically going to be a target um, as a defender. And the number of goals we conceded through sort of deep crosses to the far post where an opponent's got up above him. In that sense, he was a bit of a liability. Going forward, he was confident on the ball, bit of pace. Um, so he was always able to um, kind of recover from situations if he ever got caught the wrong side and that sort of thing. I mean, for the money, he's been very good value. But will we necessarily miss him? I eh, don't know. No. Um, we were OK without him in the second half of last season, weren't we? We were. Um, so I'm sure... Let's face it, we've now got five months to evaluate Walker Peters. If he does okay, and we can... I mean, the problem then, you're dealing with Daniel Levy. And it's like, Mm. well, how much torture do you want to put yourself through? It may be a case that we use these five months to have Walker Peters sort of plugging a hole for for that period while we then search for somebody else. Yeah, Uh, I'm pretty sure that's the arrangement. I think it's I'm sure sure that's, that's the idea. But it's one of those where, I mean, Walker Peters might be... I mean, he's got he's got a lot of the attributes that would be absolutely perfect for us, I think. Mm. But then it, you kind of almost want him to be underwhelming because then that keeps the price down. And then when he's had a full summer of of training um, under the sort of Hasenhutl method, then he has a bit of a kickstart and he goes full pelt and he's um, well worth whatever it is we end up paying. I mean, as you say, I, I suspect we'll probably look elsewhere in the summer and and hopefully get a little bit better value. Yeah, well, as I said to uh, Lucy, I, I saw you tweeted about it, Lucy. It was nice to finally see his management team get the uh, Saints Hesse hashtag right and his goodbye tweets because he always <laughs> seems to uh, tag New Orleans Saints. And I think even more importantly, and Glenn, I know this will bring the tear to your eye, I think it's absolutely beautiful, bearing in mind he didn't play in the Spurs uh, Cup game, that his last ever game at St Mary's, he put in a phenomenal cross for Shane Long to score. We'll always have that moment to treasure, won't we? But uh, <laughs> there we go. Um, lastly then, Maya Yoshida joined Sampdoria in Italy on loan, ahead of uh, also becoming a free agent this summer. So it's unlikely likely we'll see him in a Saints shirt ever again. Eight years at Saints, having signed for VVV Venlo in 2012. Maya made 194 appearances for Saints, scoring nine times. Um, but it wasn't just his on-pitch work that I think made him a fan's favourite. It was also his committed support, of course, of the Saints Foundation, including making the 1% salary contribution that he has so far this year. That is going towards helping the people who need it most in and around our city. So, Lucy, I think you know we're all going to miss Maya in probably a variety of ways. 
Yeah, I think we'd spoken, haven't we, a couple of weeks ago about the idea that he might leave at the end of the season, mm. um, which I think I said at the time would, would make a lot of sense for both us and for him. But I think the the timing probably caught us a little off guard. Um, I, I didn't expect there to be these kind of loan moves for players coming out of contract. So, you know, I kind of would have hoped we'd have been able to give him a bit more of a send-off, I guess, mm. um, especially after so long here. So that was my disappointment, I guess. Yeah. Um I think it makes perfect sense for him to get a good move elsewhere, get an opportunity to play and hopefully turn it into something more permanent for him. And, and you know, in, in that sense, you can't kind of begrudge him his move. But, um, yeah, I was just slightly surprised by the timing. Um, I think he's been at a time when the football club has endured quite a lot of turbulence and quite a lot of players unsettling the good feeling around the place. He's been an incredibly important part of maintaining stability and, and professionalism and showing quite a lot of passion as well um, and commitment. And, yeah, at a time when that felt kind of unusual and rare, I think it's been quite valuable. And all that stuff you said about the foundation, of course, is amazing as well. And there aren't that many people like him around in modern football, I don't think. So, um, yeah, bit of a loss, I think. But a loss that probably makes logical sense if you kind of take the the kind of feeling out of it, I guess. Yeah, well said, Lucy. And I think uh, all of us would wish him and his family uh, the very best with uh, whatever comes next. As you'll likely know, TSP has been very lucky and grateful to have the South Coast number one hot tub company, Happy Hot Tubs, as our sponsor for the past couple of seasons. Last season we caught up with one of the main men behind the business, James Hallett, and I'm delighted to say we're joined in this episode by another important member of the team and a fellow Saints fan, Henry Cunningham, Customer Service and Operations Manager. Henry, welcome to TSP. Um, Before we get into Saints, tell us a little bit about your background with Happy Hot Tubs, current role and sort of general day-to-day responsibilities. Yeah, hi Ben, thanks for letting me come on. Um, yeah, I've been at Happy Hot Tubs now for about 18 months. I've known James, who, who got me involved um, before, and I'm now operations and service manager. The job role is fantastic. The guys I work with as well in the office are brilliant. Um, sort of day-to-day, really, I kind of manage the service side, customer issues, customer inquiries, new hot tub orders, um, what people are needing now what it is like now with everybody wanting their things they buy instantaneously so managing that wants or need um and uh yeah just kind of keeping it as you know as as happy as everyone is as possible and uh yeah good start to my career at Happy Heart Club. (laughs) And how's the uh, journey been? I mean, as you say, it's uh, obviously, I think, renowned for being a a place that's, uh, uh, you know, enjoyable to work. And we all know that in this country, uh, the weather is so depressing that having a hot tub and somewhere that you can relax and enjoy a little bit of uh, a luxury lifestyle is uh, is a good thing to have, Henry. So what's the sort of journey been like through uh, that period for you? Yeah, I mean, a lot of people think with hot tubs, it's kind of a seasonal product. Like everyone wants it kind of when the sun's out, it's hot. But Mm. I'm actually learning curve. I think it's better to have it when it's a bit cooler, to be honest. (laughs) Autumn, winter time, fantastic time to to get yourself a spa in there where it's a bit cooler in the evenings. Um, But my journey, yeah, journey's been great. Big learning curve, a lot more to it than just here's the hot tub, see you later. A lot of maintenance, a a lot of interesting people I've met and spoken to. 
Um, and it's, it's kind of one of those companies that's just thriving and they literally, their ethos is customer service and yeah. it's, it's fantastic, really. Yeah. And look, if there's someone out there at the moment, Henry, that's thinking, do you know what? Christmas is out of the way. I'm really depressed. It's January. I want to get myself a hot tub. What sort mm. of uh, models should they be looking at with you guys at the moment? What's the best sellers? I mean, at the moment, from what I see coming through, what I would go for, it's called the Limelight Beam or Limelight Flare. Uh, they're two extremely popular products. Really cool lighting and lots of different jets, precision jets, directional jets, nice seating arrangement, just a nice tub to get into. It's kind of middle of the range, not crazy, crazy expensive, not crazy, crazy cheap. There's something in the middle of the line, um, something I definitely think that someone would, would want, would be one of my personal favourites, especially if you are a little bit short on cash at the beginning of the year. Don't want to go too crazy, but you want something that's going to last a long time, I'd probably go for one of those. No, that's fair enough. And I remember saying to James last year, Henry, that the most important thing for me with hot tubs is disco lights. I mean, do they come with disco lights or not? I mean, some of them have more than others. Um, <laughs> always been putting out there, can we retrofit some interesting lights to spas? But it didn't get met with uh, much for the manufacturer, put it that way. <laughs> <laughs> uh, fair enough. So cool. And uh, look, I mean, uh, obviously moving on to Saints, as I mentioned, uh, like all of us, uh, you're a big Saints fan. So um, tell us a bit about your sort of background and history following Saints over the years, Henry. Yeah, the first time I went to Saints was, I did go to a couple of games um, when we were at the Dell. Mm-hmm. Um, memories are a little bit few and far between, but I did, did go to a couple of games there. But my real loving for the team was literally um, when we moved to the new stadium in, I think it was 01. That's right. And my dad and my granddad, they, they kind of got me involved more with going, got some season tickets and literally from there on addicted. It was like an addiction. I loved going, the Saints, the fans, the atmosphere, everything. Um I'm not currently a season ticket holder at the moment, but I do try and go to as sort of as many games as I can. I follow them avidly. Love the other way game too. Yeah. So yeah, all the way back from when I was a youngster, really, and still think they're the best thing since white sliced bread. I think. <laughs> no, brilliant. And of course, you would have seen lots and lots of players during that period, Henry. So I mean, if you had mm. to pick a couple out that uh, you've most enjoyed uh, sort of watching over the years, who would they be? Oh, I would probably go really throw this one out there, but I thought Marion Pahar mm-hmm. um, back in the day. I, c- I can remember fondly one goal. Uh, I think it was against Portsmouth, actually, believe it or not, when he, he I was in the Kingsland at the time, and I can remember him just opening his body up uh, outside the box and turning a beauty into the mm. far corner to make it 2-0. Yep. Um, he was a magician, I thought, Pahaz. Yeah. Um, BT, that season where he scored super amounts of goals, he was just a goal machine. I thought he was incredible. Mm. Um, and I think at the moment with the current squad, I think the guys are really shining. War Prowse. Danny Ings at the minute, a goal machine. Lots of players, really, but I'd probably pick those three out, really. Yeah, no, fantastic. And uh, what about memorable matches? I mean, you mentioned the uh, the 3-0 win there against Pompey, but I mean, is there any particular ones from your personal point of view that you most enjoy going to watch? I have to say, best game I've, I think I've ever been to was Liverpool away, second leg of the Capital One Cup. Amazing. Yeah. Um, I was with one of my best mates up there. Uh, I know we were one up from the first leg, yeah, we were under a bit of pressure in the second leg, but when that ball from, I think it was Sims to Shane Long, who yeah. slotted home, yeah. I think that's probably the biggest celebration I've ever experienced at Saints. Have you seen um, the bruises? Well, put it this way, I think everyone was everywhere, and <laughs> the seating <laughs> arrangement, I don't know what happened, it was just incredible. I mean, as you say, it's hard to beat that, I think, in terms of uh, the last decade or so, but uh, yeah, I mean, in terms of any games at St Mary's that you remember as well? No, I think it's got to be up there with the Sunderland 8-0. That was, can we play you every week? I mean, there was all sorts going on in that game. I didn't know what was going on, but that was special, 8-0. 
I don't think I've ever seen them score that many. Um, I think we've before. gone some seasons where we've not scored that many goals, haven't we? But uh, <laughs> yeah, exactly. And yeah. Uh, I mean, focusing on sort of the here and now, then Henry. Um, you, you know, we're talking ahead of the Liverpool game, but you know, Saints have been on a really, really good run the last few weeks. Overall, what have you made of the sort of season and Ralph Hasenhutl? I know the beginning was a struggle. I mean, losing to Burnley, I think, 3-0 on the opening day of the season was a bit of an eye-opener for a lot of fans. Yep. Um, I thought we had a good pre-season with us with Hassan so I thought we might hit the ground running with a maybe a win away. But then we, had, I know we had a tight game against Liverpool and we could have maybe got a point from that. Um, but I know we then we had some tough fixtures. I went to the Brighton game. That was a great result. And then it kind of went a little bit tricky. And then obviously we picked it up massively. I think those two wins against Norwich and Watford back-to-back home games really helped, even though they were a bit nervy. Mm. Um, and yeah, I have to admit, at one point this season, I'll throw it out there, I didn't think he was the man for the job after that. Mm. You know, there's a lot of uh, scepticism after this 9-0. But, you know, you've got to remember, this was a red card, which was the yeah. first, I think, by VAR that overturned. Yeah, pretty the much. The rest just gave a free kick. Yep. And I thought, yeah, I was one of those where I was actually a to hope out, believe it or not. Um, and I thought it had to be changed. But, I mean, look at the turnaround. Absolutely amazing at the minute. Uh, our waveform is, is unbelievable. Where do you think Saints can finish uh, at the end of the season? I mean, you've got that big chunk of teams, five or six teams, I think, on 30 points mid-table at the minute. I mean, there's a, it's almost like there's four or five adrift at the bottom, hmm. seven or eight in the middle, and then a bit of the top part. And, I mean... Who knows? People talking about Europa League, I think we need to be a little bit more realistic. I mean, I would sort of say mid-table at the minute, between 8th and 12th, I think we'll be somewhere in there. I'd love to say Europa, but I, I think I'll be happy with the start we had mid-table. Yeah, I was going to say, I think a few weeks ago we would have taken 17th, wouldn't we? But uh, there we go, yeah. you know. Um, thanks so much for joining us, Henry. It's uh, it's really appreciated. You know, obviously keep up the, the good work at Happy Hot Tubs. And, you know, just again from all of us here at Total Saints Podcast, thanks to all of you and the, the team there for your continued support of the pod. No, well, thanks very much, Ben, for having me on. Now, if you listen to TSP 100, you'll know that Australia is the third highest country in terms of listens to our podcast behind the UK and USA. So with such a committed Saints fan base in the region, it seemed perfect timing to find out a little bit more as we endeavour to understand and share more on the global Saints story. The largest Saints group in Australia is the Southampton Australian Supporters, and I'm delighted to welcome John Parent to TSP 101. John is one of the original founders of the Southampton Australian Supporters Facebook group. John, welcome to Total Saints Podcast. Before we talk specifically about the SAS, tell us a little bit more about you and your sort of background and history supporting Saints. G'day, mate. It's Australia Day, and <laughs> uh, welcome. It's a pleasure to be on the show. Myself, I'm just a boring old middle-aged family man with two kids and a wife, and actually became a Saints fan uh, when I was in primary school. I was in a regional uh, football team training system, and the goalkeeper coach pulled me across. And he asked me, he goes, who do you follow football? And I said, no one. He goes, who do you follow overseas? And I said, you know, Udinese. And he said, why Udinese? It's because Zico, because Zico at the time was playing for him. Yeah. And I said, no, no, my dad's from there. And he said, okay, good on you. He goes, how about in the real league, uh, the old first division? I said, no one. And at this time, he was sort of training me. He was kicking the ball into me. I was jumping up and down. He was trying to get me to talk and breathe and huff and puff and everything. And uh, I said, I have no idea. I don't break for anyone in England. Uh, I just watch, you know, match of the day or yep. whatever. 
Uh, and he said, you got to break for someone. And I'm huffing, I'm puffing, I'm there talking. I go, no one, no one. And I said, who do you follow? And he said, I think he said someone like Scunthorpe. I said, never heard of him. And he kept talking, well, you have to support someone. I said, who's got the best goalkeeper? And he said, Peter Shilton. Uh, who's he play for? Southampton. Okay, I break for Southampton. And ever since then, I've been a Southampton supporter. Yeah, they're excellent. And uh, look, moving on to the Southampton Australian supporters group then, uh, John, how did that sort of come about and when was it started and you know, how did you get involved in it? Well, in the old days, about ooh, 13, 14 years ago, maybe even longer, when we used to just be like um, email groups and used to be like email lists and used to just have fellow Saints fans and used to talk to each other on the on the web net and you know, just read posts and all that, I put out a post, anyone from Australia there, yep. and I got their email addresses. I said, okay, so we started a mailing group. Then we'd go to local games here, our Australian A-League, and I'd see people within a Southampton scarf or Southampton type and say, what's your name? What's your, you know, it gives you your email address. Do you want to join the list? Train station's going to the game or walking out. Or I pull up and I see someone with a Southampton sticker on the back of their car and say, mate, do you want to join our nailing list? And then we got a few around Australia. We had about 80 or 90 at the time. Then Facebook came along and became popular. So yep. uh, uh, another fellow member, Hayden, and my wife uh, said, why don't you start a page? And that's how we got about it. And I became the original admin, yeah. That's how we started off, and it just grew bigger and bigger and bigger. And we got guys like Trevor Foy, who's the current president, and another guy called Tristan, who's a human rights lawyer, who uh, started up and made us all official with shareholders and started us up as an official company. And that's how we became about. Now we've got over 3,000 members approximately. So, yeah, we're doing really well. Look, I know lots of people in Australia that are listening to this and, and will know you already, John, will probably be following the groups. But if there's someone listening to this out in the deepest, darkest uh, parts of Australia that don't maybe know about you and your groups, where can they find you and you know what social media um, channels have you got? Basically, we tried to start up a web page, but that's still in uh, development. That's going to be a while because we're not really that tech savvy. <laughs> but the best place to catch us is probably on our Facebook page, Southampton Australian Supporters, yep. each capital city has got their own little group as well. So if you look up SASC, the Brisbane, Sydney, Melbourne, they've also got their own page and you can ask to be invited into that. But anyone can join the Australian Southampton supporters page on Facebook, yeah. Great. And I think Twitter is uh, at Aussie Saints SAS as well, just in case people are on Twitter. Is that right? That's correct, yes. Perfect. All right. I'm sure like lots of us overseas, you know, we tend to follow the group. I know there's a lot of good humour in it from you and Trevor and some of the uh, guys, as you mentioned. But one of the key things I was keen to sort of hear a bit more about is um, the weekend of the Aston Villa home game, which is coming up the, the 22nd and 23rd of February. So SAS are holding their annual road trip. I think East Coast style is what you got here. So is that correct? Yeah, we're off to the Gold Coast. The sunny Gold Coast, which is, uh, I don't know, probably the equivalent of Florida or Waikiki Beach for those who <laughs> travel to America, of Australia's version of that. Uh, every year we go, uh, we like to move it around a bit. Unfortunately, Australia being so big, you know, the size of Western Europe, yeah. we're getting our first people from Perth, which is like a seven-hour aeroplane flight away yeah. from the Gold Coast. But we've had uh, two in Adelaide, one in Sydney, one in Melbourne. And now this is our second one in Queensland, and this time in Queensland it's going to be on the Gold Coast. So basically we're all getting together and uh, watching a game and having it. We usually pick another supporters club from overseas and have a five-a-side game with them. Yeah. Uh, like uh, we've had it with Tottenham, we've had it with Norwich in the past, depending on what capital city who wants to challenge us yep. uh, on the Saturday afternoon. Then we have a dinner and then we stay up late and watch the game. The fortunate thing about... Queensland, because they're up in the tropics, they don't have daylight savings, so they don't need it. So we get to watch the game an hour earlier, which is a lot of fun. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, every weekend we have it. It's a great weekend, and we have a few drinks, tell a few stories. A lot of people from England, expats, were about 70, 30 expats, yep, uh, yep. English expats. A lot of expats get to go and tell stories about the old country and going back to the 
Hampshire and um, a lot of the Australians like myself, we talk about our experiences going over the visit and all the friends we've made in England. And yeah. it's just a great weekend. It's a really family-orientated weekend. Obviously, the game being so late at night, people with children don't come to the game in the middle of the night. But besides yeah. that, this is a fantastic weekend. A lot of barbecues, a lot of kicking the football, a lot of beach. Yeah, yeah. No, no. Pub, yeah. No, excellent. I was just saying, won't be before we started that I'm currently sat talking to you looking at the, the rain pouring down the window here in the, the UK. So yeah, the thought of everything you just said there sounds very, very attractive, John. Especially being the Australia Day weekend where I can look out the window and see a bit of sunshine at 8 o'clock <laughs> at night. And the next door neighbours invited me over to his Australia Day barbecue and we had one yesterday and tomorrow's the public holiday. So yeah. A lot of lamb, a lot of beer, a lot of sunshine this yeah, weekend. <laughs> exactly. So, no, excellent. Well, it does sound uh, great. I think, you know, most importantly, obviously, we'll hope for the uh, three points. And you, you kind of lead me nicely on to the penultimate question, John. You know, for us um, over here in the UK, it's a lot easier. But try and give us an idea as Saints fans, the challenges around trying to follow and watch Saints from literally the other side of the world. Because, you know, I, I know you're based in Melbourne. So sort of thinking about it, if Saints were kicking off, for example, against Spurs yesterday, uh, three o'clock, you know, that's 2 a.m. for you in the morning. So is it literally a case of getting up in the middle of the night to watch them or do you tend to try and catch up with it later on or what uh more or less it's getting up in the middle of the night now yeah. we've met at the pub where it's a football pub in that cbd which is melbourne being a massive city yeah yep. close to four million people we catch up in the imperial hotel which is in the center of melbourne and they also host manchester city tottenham and unfortunately liverpool because they usually take over the whole pub yeah. but um we've got our own little room there area and we all catch up there and like last night, Dallas savings now, two in the morning is a bit difficult. It's better when it's winter time, yeah. when the clocks go back, because it's 11 o'clock at night. A lot more pleasant. Yeah. Save you going to bed, then waking up. But I know, for example, like school summer holidays are just coming to an end here now. Yep. But I know last Wednesday for the midweek game, it was 6 a.m. kickoff. I brought my two sons, my nephew. We went up and we had breakfast at the game and had a few beers and coffees or whatever and we watched the game. A lot of us after went to work or yep. what have you. But middle of the night's really difficult. I know, like the guys in Perth, even though it's like eight o'clock, nine o'clock at night for their kickoffs, because Australia's such a big country and the time differences, it's really hard to find parks apparently in the city in Perth. So right. it makes it difficult. The guys in Sydney, they've got lockout laws there. So it makes it really difficult. So, yeah. and Brisbane, they're like Melbourne, they can do it a bit easier. And better still, they've got no daylight savings because you're up in the tropics yeah. and they can watch the game an hour earlier. So we're passionate. <laughs> Put it this totally. way, we get up in the middle of the night, they were passionate and we really love the Saints. So, yeah, it's worth it, it's especially when we win. It was, it, was, it was a lot difficult. I remember going to a Saturday morning game before I did my Saturday morning shopping with my son and uh, my youngest son, who's only 10. And uh, after copping the 9 nil to, to Leicester, <laughs> because you get up in the middle of the night or in the middle, so early in the morning. It's a long day. It's just a camaraderie about it, but it's just lots of smiles. We're going to go down? No, we're too good to go down type of thing because... You make the sacrifice. You always look on the bright side. You know what I mean? Absolutely. And I think, as you say there, I mean, we're lucky because uh, I was saying this in the 100th episode, whilst we're not the most fashionable club in the world, you know, it's great that there's Saints fans here, there and everywhere following them. And I think, you know, the passion, even though the other side of the world, John, I mean, we've we've all seen the videos on your social media of guys running around the pub with their shirts over their heads and things like that. Yeah, I apologise for that. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I remember a, a Portsmouth game, the one in the championship, where they got the last-minute goal. But when we went two up, uh, yeah. I went to hug, actually, it was someone, and I jumped in the air, and I t- apparently I took out half the pub because <laughs> I'm, a, I'm a fairly large bloke. Yeah. And there were a few victims, a few tables, chairs, and people went down with a bit of an avalanche from that. <laughs> but um, when we get two one up, it, it's funny because a lot of us are Australian and have no links with Southampton. Yeah. A lot of them here, not like myself, but... A lot of them are linked with an Australian football club called St Kilda in the Australian rules. I don't know if you know about it in England, but it's our Indigenous game, want for a better term. And they're called the Saints. They wear red, white and black. 
Yep. So there's a lot of people, like we've got a very famous sports journalist here called Bruce Evo, who's one of those who's obsessed with Southampton because of his love for St Kilda. Yeah, and yeah, they, yeah. they come and watch as well. And St Kilda will pull like 30,000 to their local home game here in Australia. So a lot of them jumped on the Saints bandwagon. So that helps build up our uh, support group. I was going to say, I think I've seen them uh, infiltrate the Saints FC hashtag a few times. Yeah, it's a great bunch of blokes. And uh, Southampton, they've only won one title. So <laughs> There you go, there's a lot of similarities. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and just briefly, I mean, do you get to come across much or have you had a chance to come to some areas the last few years? Or I haven't been for about three years. Yep. Uh, I remember the first time I went to Europe in the early 90s. I went to visit my grandmother in Italy and I thought, I've got to go to see the Saints. So I thought it was like the Australian Rules football game. I was very ignorant. <laughs> and we were playing at the Dell, and I rocked up to the game. I said, yeah, come one ticket. And the guy just, just started laughing. I flew from uh, Venice to London. I took the train down. Yeah, I'll go back tomorrow to see this game. Rocked on a Saturday afternoon about half past two. Yeah, you know, I want to see the pre-match stuff. Any chance for a ticket for the game? Just start laughing, mate. The game sold out about five days ago. <laughs> oh, great. So I got the train back to London and flew back the next day. <laughs> it's a long trip, yeah. But, yeah, uh, yeah I've seen him play in the uh, Championship League One over the years and uh, obviously in the Premier League, yeah. Four or five times I've been back to follow the team, yeah. Excellent. And what's the general sort of view, um, the chat in the pub and things like that, just to finish up, John, around the current squad and this current season and what Ralph's doing? How are you guys sort of uh, seeing it from there? It's pretty mixed, actually. Um, depends who you talk to. <laughs> like, <laughs> you might go to the Frog and Parrot in Southampton and hear yeah. five different uh, views. Yeah. It's pretty mixed. A lot of us, like a month and a half ago, people saying sack Ralph. They were saying, stay with him. Now it's pretty confident at the moment. Yeah. Everyone's on the same page. We have to improve our home form, but everyone's really wrapped the way we turn things around and our um, away form has been really great. And we're even talking about going up to Anfield next Saturday and getting a win. So, yeah, I know. You know. It's crazy how no it's going No one would have dreamt about that like two, three months ago. No, no, exactly. And just finally then, to put you on the spot then, John, where do you reckon they're going to finish this season? Where they are. I reckon anywhere between uh, 6th and 12th. Yeah, they'll stay mid-table, but uh, I'm really hoping to beat Tottenham so we can have a good cup run because that's what I think our glory will be. Yeah, but who knows if we get knocked out of the cup? We've made a big improvement. There's no reason with Ralph why we can't keep improving even more. Well, as uh, John said earlier, as a reminder, you can find the uh, Southampton Australian Supporters Group on Facebook. Just type Southampton Australian Supporters into the search string there on Twitter as well, at Aussie Saints SAS. Um, John, it's been a, an absolute pleasure having you on. Thanks for joining us. Keep up the great work out there, helping to spread the Saints Aussie love via the uh, SAS groups. And I was going to say, enjoy the 22nd, 23rd of February and your uh, road trip. And obviously, uh, enjoy the rest of Australia Day. Thanks very much, and I uh, really love the show, and we've really followed it over here, and we really uh, love the good work you're doing. Thanks. Total Saints Podcast. Total Saints Podcast. Sponsored by happyhottubs.co.uk. A big thanks again to both Henry and John. Apologies for the man flu voice that I had earlier in the week, but, you know, podding doesn't stop for significant colds. Right, to wrap up this week, a brief look ahead to the Spurs FA Cup replay. Steve, we said a couple of weeks back, probably a game that neither side really wants, but uh, with Norwich waiting for the winner, a good opportunity to progress if you can get through this tie. Yeah, definitely. There's not been an awful lot of big clubs meeting each other, so it's it's one of those where you're kind of waiting for the next round, maybe, for, for that opening to maybe get yourself to Wembley for at least a semi-final. Yep. But, again, it's a bit of a dilemma for teams, isn't it? Because the fifth round is midweek this season, you're kind of looking at it and thinking, well, we could do without this extra game, but mm. then it comes between the West Ham and Newcastle games. Yep. 
I mean, I, I don't, I don't see any reason why we, why we shouldn't go for it. I mean, let's face it. As we said for the, for the original tie against Spurs, Jose was always going to go for it with the team he was going to pick for them. Yeah. And I mean, we can't get away with playing our reserves against that sort of quality. No, totally. Um, so I fully expect that on, uh, on Wednesday night, it will be more, it'll be more or less the same, same lineup. So mm. I, I would think, I mean, Valerie might be in right back and, yep. we, and we kind of re rejig our midfield to go back to how we, how we want to go. Mm. Um, but beyond that, I, I would expect that to be, yeah, basically first choice. Um, cause I mean, otherwise what was the point in doing it in the first game? Yeah, totally. And, and I guess the thing, as you say, Steve, is we then got 10 days before the Burnley game. So rest, recover, whatever you need to do. Yeah. I mean, 10 days or 14 days. I don't think, I don't think there's a huge sort of significant difference in, in terms of, the amount that your body recovers, I think I'm obviously no sort of uh, athlete. <laughs> athlete. Well, either either an athlete or a scientist. But I mean, if you've got a week to recover, I you would think that that would be that would be ample time. So to, mm. to still have ten days, I don't see us having any issues in terms of recovery sort of after Wednesday night and before the Burnley game. So, yeah, we might as well go for it. Yeah, my post-Christmas tummy was wobbling whilst I was making that athletic uh, joke there. But uh, there we go. Um, Glenn, Saints will be backed by over 5,500 committed fans paying £25 a ticket thanks to Daniel Levy. Um, so expecting there to be some class support and noise for Ralph and the Lazars ever. Yeah, there should be. I mean, the fact that it's an evening game will probably help as well. So hopefully there won't be um, day trippers uh, killing the atmosphere, which... <laughs> I mean, it's it's a difficult ground to generate an atmosphere in, I mm. gather. Um, never actually been there myself. But uh, from what I hear, if it's anything like the Emirates, which is sort of like big and huge, it's very, very difficult to get any decent atmosphere going. Is it true that the the fans are split between two areas? Is that true or is, uh, um, the, is everyone um, together? No, it's, it's kind of all together, but it's split over two tiers. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. That end is kind of three tiers. So we've got the we've got the lower tier, which is the normal away end. Um, sort of in that far corner as the TV cameras look at it. And then the bit above um, is directly above. So it, it will kind of look as if it's one section. Yeah, but obviously yeah. you'll get very little interaction between between yeah. the two of them as as you usually do on, in those sort of sections. Mm. Yeah. But I mean, with regards to the game itself, I think what Steve said is, is spot on. Both teams will pick more or less the full side. Um, at two, was it 2-0 yesterday and we, we took Ings and Long off? Yep. Um, we did that for a reason, you yeah. know, and that was obviously with Wednesday's game in mind. Mm. So they're both going to play. Um, yeah, I, I thought Jan Valerie might have played this week, but no. Uh, <laughs> so who knows if he'll come back on uh, on Wednesday? You would you would anticipate Angus Gunn being in goal, but other than that, I think it will be um, it will be more or less the same team. And um, you know, obviously they're no they're nowhere near as good as Liverpool are. Um, right. We we could have done without them winning today because that mm. probably give them a little bit of a. A little bit of a pep up, but it was a uh, proper, it was a proper smash and grab. Yeah, yeah. they only had about two shots, didn't yeah. they? Yeah, they, they, yeah but if yeah, you three, if three you win, shots, two on target. Yeah, yeah. But if you win a game against Man City, you yep. know that you that makes you yep. makes you feel better about yourself. And um, yeah, so it's a tough game, but it was always going to be a tough game. But I don't, I don't see any reason why we can't go there and get something if we play to our best, as we have done away from home, relatively recently. Then, um, then yeah, why not? No, I agree. And uh, yeah, as Lucy, uh, as Glenn says, um, you know, beating City will, of course, give them and the, the fans a lift. But it was uh, three shots to 14 or something, as Steve said. But do you think the pressure is all on Spurs and we can go there and kind of relax and enjoy it and see what happens? Or do you think Saints are, uh, you know, there's as much pressure on them to try and win it as well? I think the Saints will certainly be looking to do all right now that relegation looks less of a threat. I would think that they're thinking the Cup's like a good opportunity. Hmm. Um 
But yeah, no, I think the idea that the pressure is on Spurs is definitely right. And, and there are lots of arguments that they brought in Mourinho because they see the next you know year or two as being their prime opportunity to get a trophy or, or to do something with the team they have yeah. before it inevitably falls apart as these things tend to do. Um, so, you know, I think there is a, a decent amount of pressure on them. And I think um, the injury to Harry Kane probably hasn't helped them out with that pressure. That probably makes them a little bit more complex for us to defend against, I think. Um, there isn't that kind of same, you know, pivot for all of their attacks. You know, they, they now run with these fast forwards like Son and Mora and um, now Bergwijn. But no, um, there is a lot of pressure on them and I expect it to be a tough game. But I'm, I'm feeling positive, actually. Yeah? I'm quite positive. Yeah, good. yeah. Good. All right. Well, it'll be interesting to see what Ralph does team selection-wise, as uh, Steve mentioned, after a tough game at Liverpool. But with those 10 days to uh, rest and recover before Burnley on the 15th of February. Um, there's no points on offer. For those that don't know, because we didn't do a, a pre-Liverpool pod last week, I did predict Liverpool to win 3-0 in true Stanfield style. Of course, that 94th-minute goal was absolutely scuppered my three points, so bittersweet in a way. But uh, there's no points on offer for the Cup, uh, of course. Um, so, Lisa, you're feeling positive. Why not get us off to a positive start? Going for a 2-1 Saints win. 2-1 Saints win. Is that AET or in 90 minutes? Just for an added twist. Um, In 90 minutes. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Good. Good. Uh, Steve, I assume you're going to the game, are you? Yes, I am. Yeah. What do you reckon, then? Um... At the moment, we're two very well-matched sides. Mm. So, unfortunately, I'm going for the nuclear option of uh, <laughs> one, a one-all draw and us to win 5-4 on penalties. <laughs> God, there should be points on offer for that sort of uh, prediction, shouldn't there? But uh, there we go. So, I've actually written that down. I have no idea why. Which means but, I'll, get, uh, I'll still won't be able to cross London until about 2 o'clock in yeah, the morning. Yeah, you'll be getting home at half four ridiculous. in the morning. Yeah, passing the milkman and that sort of thing. I don't mm. know if they have milkman anymore. But, uh, Glenn, um, what do you reckon then? This is ridiculous. I was going to say virtually exactly the same as Steve. Yeah. <laughs> oh. Yeah. Uh, so I was going to go. I was going to go for a draw. Um, and if you're going to go for a draw, then it's going to be one-one, isn't it? Um, is there extra time, or does it yes. go straight? To yeah. Yeah. There is, not, the Carabao Cup goes straight to pens. Yeah. All oh, right. Okay. So there, there is extra time. I'm just going to have to go for a slightly different penalty shootout score. Nineteen <laughs> eighteen or something. Yeah. yeah four-three. 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 Right. Classic. So well, everyone will be getting their money's worth for twenty-five quid weren't they so that's good um right uh, obviously i'm going to go for spurs to win 2-1 because uh, i wouldn't want to uh, predict anything positive just in case it actually happened That's another Total Saints podcast done and dusted. My thanks as always to the panel, also to Henry Cunningham from Happy Hot Tubs and John Parron from the Southampton Australian Supporters. Thanks to you all for listening as well. We'll be back next time going to the heart of all things Saints FC. Until then, keep marching in. days are great but there's nothing quite like playing at home the same goes for mcdonald's maximize your home ground advantage with mcdelivery 
Order now on the McDonald's app. At participating restaurants, 18 plus, serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.